0: My name's Brittany Switzer and I run a progressive digital marketing firm, the Alternative Strategies. You know, I feel like I've been following progress since the very beginning and they have really pushed Democrats in a way that many other organizations haven't been able to to be more progressive on on issues. And it's been really great to kind of watch them grow and watch them take on so many fights over the past decade. It's Monday, February 26 2024, and this is the Progress Texas Daily Dispatch. Rapid response on the breaking news stories Texas progressives need to know. I'm Chris Mosier. As we emerge from the only weekend of early voting in this year's primary election, the turnout tracker provided by KXAN-TV in Austin shows data this morning through Saturday. And while Texans are still trickling through the polls at the snail's pace we've come to expect in primaries, Republican turnout is still slightly over twice that of Democratic voters, with just over 492,000 GOP voters having gotten it done by the closing of the polls on Saturday compared to just over 238,000 Democrats. Govotexas.org has all you need for voting in Texas. And there we are reminded that Friday is the last day of early voting, with your last chance to vote in the primary coming up on Election Day, Tuesday, March the 5th, one week from tomorrow. Let me shout out the Texas Tank podcast with Scott Braddock and Jeremy Wallace. Their show on Friday had me slapping my head that I didn't put this together myself. We've talked about the broadside. The Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton has been leveling against three judges, all women, by the way, up for re-election to the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals, the highest criminal court in the state. Braddock and Wallace point out that the ruling from those judges that Paxton's in a tip about is perfectly sound, and that is that the Attorney General's office does not have the power to prosecute election fraud. Cases like that are brought at the local level by local DAs, not at the state level. Of course, this hasn't stopped Ken Paxton from running ads claiming that the court took legal powers away from him that he never held in the first place. Plus, and this is super important to keep in mind, as Ken Paxton meddles with the Texas Criminal Court of Appeals election, he's also about to go on trial himself. Finally, after almost nine years For felony securities fraud, that court is likely to end up the place his verdict will finally be decided. Ken Paxton is lying to Texas voters in an attempt not only to be able to meddle in future elections, but also to save his own skin from prison. That other Republican primary attack on fellow Republicans continues as well. Governor Abbott's tour of revenge against rural GOP lawmakers who didn't go along with his voucher scam. Michael McArdle at WFAA talked to a rather haggard-looking Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick about that. Patrick is bullish that enough of those seats will flip. And enough returning Republican members will read the tea leaves and change their votes that school vouchers will have a better chance of passing in 2025, making the outcome of the GOP primary we're in the middle of right now very interesting for Texans who back our public schools. Speaking of education, Carrie Heath at the Austin American Statesman points us to Texas State Board of Education races that threaten to drag that all important body even further to the right. Of the seven board offices up for re election, three have contested Republican primary races, with those winners facing Democratic opponents in November. The Texas State Board of Education is set next year to approve new social studies curricula for Texas school kids, a process that last year became so divisive over social issues that those decisions were punted to 2025. An additional edge to conservative voices on this board could be bad news next year for what our kids are taught in Texas social studies classes moving forward. Finally, on the primary and also from the statesman, John Moritz writes on why young voters in Texas have a quieter voice than older voters in elections. And it basically comes down to who shows up. Research from Austin political consultant Derek Ryan dives deeper into the turnout numbers we mentioned at the top to see who exactly is showing up early to vote in the primary. And he finds that on the Republican side, it's older folks. Just under 47 percent of the earliest GOP voters were 70 or older followed by voters between 50 and 70, representing 40%. As Moritz puts it, 87% of the Texas Republicans who have voted so far in the primary were alive when Richard Nixon was president. We progressives, of course, laugh smugly and say, obviously that's not a problem for Democrats. Well, we'd be wrong about that. Blue voters over 70 account for even more of the Dem share at almost 48%. And the Democratic 50 to 70 group takes up 36 percent, totaling 82 percent over 50. Moritz boils it down thusly, quote, for voters in their 20s or 30s and perhaps even their 40s, the same people who have made all the rules from the time those younger voters left the maternity ward to when they trotted off to college or the military or the full-time job market or down the aisle are still the ones driving much of the rulemaking, for what those voters' grown-up options are out here in the real world. Unquote. Young people, and by young I mean under 50, so far in this primary are simply not voting. Over to abortion rights. Thought alongside the U.S. Senate race, a likely driver of primary turnout. Rolling Stone, which has been having a field day with Texas over this weekend, features writer Peter Wade, who says Governor Greg Abbott is a bit stumped when it comes to how abortion bans like his have led to a halting of in vitro fertilization, seen by many Texas couples as the last resort to a successful wanted pregnancy. Abbott appeared on CNN's State of the Union show yesterday and basically admitted he knows very little about IVF. When asked if he agreed with the Alabama ruling that embryos are human beings under the law and whether families in Texas should be concerned that IVF would be restricted, the governor answered, quote, you raise fact questions that are complex that I simply don't know the answer to. These are very complex issues where I'm not sure everybody has really thought about what all the potential problems are. And as a result, no one really knows what the potential answers are, unquote. That's a great answer, actually, and one that illuminates exactly why Republican politicians should stay out. Of the private reproductive matters of Americans. CNN reports that the governor, while he expressed a similar slack-jawed support of IVF to that spouted by Donald Trump, stopped short of calling for a law protecting in vitro fertilization in Texas. Perhaps befuddlement at the complex mess they've made is one of the reasons Republican candidates are doing all they can to distance themselves from the topic of abortion this election cycle. Taylor Goldenstein at the Houston Chronicle writes that no Republican lawmakers or candidates addressed the annual Texas rally for life in Austin last month. As to why GOP types are leaning on immigration or school vouchers instead of what should be seen by pro-lifers as a huge legislative victory, Joshua Blank of the University of Texas at Austin's Texas Politics Project believes Republicans understand that first, most Texans don't agree with the strictness of their new abortion laws. Second, most Republican voters have moved on past abortion to hating on brown people And third, unlike other states where activists have been able to put measures on the ballot, allowing the people to make the call on reproductive freedom in their states, in Texas, there's no law or constitutional authority to put citizen-initiated measures on the ballot. We are one of 24 U.S. states that don't allow that. So Republicans, largely in safely drawn seats and supported by rabid, hard-right Republican primary voters, mostly well past childbearing age, as we've noted, are making the call on abortion for all Texans. Finally, on abortion rights, stalwart Texas progressive Jim Hightower writes for the blog Informed Comment on that new word we examined just recently on this podcast, extraterritoriality, which, as you'll recall, we brought up in talking about our state government attempting to flex its legal muscle outside our borders. Hightower expands on that and reminds us that the concept of extraterritoriality has its origins in the fight to keep slavery legal in particular in the infamous Fugitive Slave Act of 1850, which required officials in northern anti-slave states to capture and return escaped slaves to the south, thus applying southern slave laws in northern jurisdictions. This insane law was on the books for 14 years before being repealed in 1864 and is very similar to the idea that the use of public roads in Texas to leave the state to acquire abortion care could be criminalized. Good read and hello to Jim Hightower. See the show notes. As we wind down on a Monday in late February, where it appears we're getting started early this year toying with high temperature records, DFW expects about 92 today, there is some encouraging news from the energy sector related to renewables. Julian Spector writes for the clean energy blog Canary Media that Texas is set to add more grid batteries than any other state in 2024. Having overtaken California last year in large-scale solar power capacity, the problem became how to get all that sun juice to where it's needed and how to store it up for a cloudy day. As solar grows, battery capacity tends to follow, and it is in a big way here in Texas. Developers are expected to complete 6.4 gigawatts of new grid battery capacity in Texas this year, according to the Federal Energy Information Administration. That's more than double the 5.6 gigawatts of battery capacity we ended 2023 with, and it's also as much battery capacity as the entire United States built last year, which itself was a record year for the energy storage industry. Whether these gains in renewable energy are too little too late or not remains to be seen here in balmy February, but it's good that progress is being made. The last few days of Black History Month 2024 are here this week, and Progress Texas continues celebrating. We want to take a moment to congratulate the congregation of Salem United Methodist Church in Orange, right on the Louisiana border east of Beaumont, and one of the largest black churches in southeast Texas, where they celebrated their 159th anniversary on Sunday. Ebony Coleman and Scott Eslinger at 12 News Now say yesterday's commemoration included a proclamation presented by Orange Mayor Larry Spears Jr. and a performance by the West Orange Stark High School Choir. We send our congratulations on 159 years of worship and community engagement. Also this February, we're looking to add 29 new recurring donors to our family here at Progress Texas, one for each day this leap month. Find out more at progressTexas.org. Hit the Donate tab at the top. While you're there, hit our web store. It's always open, and you can choose from y'all means all revolution or our most popular humans against Ted Cruz t-shirts, all union made right here in Texas. That purchase also helps support our important work and we appreciate it. That's the Progress Texas Daily Dispatch for this Monday, February 26, 2024. Links to all these original stories can be found in our show notes. If you're enjoying our podcast, an easy way to help spread the word is to leave us a positive review on the podcast delivery platform of your choice, and be sure to tell your friends about us as well. Progress Texas Texas is a nonprofit rapid response media organization promoting progressive messages and actions. While campaigns come and go, we're the permanent home for progressive media and action in the Lone Star State. All about everything we do at ProgressTexas.org. I'm Chris Mosier. Thanks for listening. Stay cool out there. Have a great Monday, and we'll see you again tomorrow morning.